Triple Whale has just launched a simple finance platform called FinHub, and I'm already loving it. One simple dashboard for all the tools and accounts you're already using, so you can gain clarity with your consolidated data, your real-time cash flow, your accrual P&Ls. It's designed to help those brands that are built on Shopify to operate smarter. So go over to triplewell.com and check it out. I'm doing something a little bit different to cap off these sort of solo episodes of Pit Stop before jumping into a few weeks of having great guests. This episode aired on my other show, Rolled Up, on the Rolled Up Podcast Network earlier this week. It's with the CEO of Omnisend. We had a great conversation. I've listened to it probably five or six times now, and I'm not tired of it, which I think says something when it's A, my own voice, but also just something I've heard a bunch of times. So I hope you enjoy this longer, more conversational episode of uh, of Pit Stop. And if you like it, go check out my other podcast, Rolled Up. I'll be launching season two that's very CPG focused in the next couple of weeks. Disney is just a really interesting company, both on the business practices front, and we'll get into some of that, but also just some of the lore that surrounds them, which only comes with age. Things like light posts. Thank you for uh, TikTok for showing that on my For You page. But one page out of Disney's book that a lot of people replicate is referring to customers as something other than customers. Some software companies call their customers users. Some might call them clients. But Ritas Loris, the founder and CEO of Omnisend, the e-commerce marketing automation platform that sponsors the podcast, calls them something different. He calls them investors. So uh, we do have uh, investors, but we have t- tens of thousands of investors. So each of our paying customers actually making a decision each month if they continue investing in us and if we really create value for them. What does that mean? That being bootstrapped or customers funded uh, puts your customer at really, really very center of your business, at that very, very core. And you always constantly have to think about how to create value for your customer not for your investor. We talk a little bit about business philosophies, including bootstrapping, and why we've both chosen to avoid raising large amounts of capital. In 2020, there was no shortage of capital being deployed to e-commerce brands at crazy rates. But instead of taking that money and owing growth to investors, Redis chose to go in a different direction with Omnisend. Building a company and creating a business, it's kind of an art. So I really enjoy that creativity and that path. And a lot of our teammates enjoy that as well. It really kind of the victories are greater and you are more proud of yourself and you accomplish something great without being, I would even call it, over-resourced, you know. We dig into that a little bit throughout the interview, but more importantly, we discuss our philosophies, interests, and vices. I hope you enjoy this bonus episode of Rolled Up, a little bit more of a snack than a full meal. I'll be back soon with season two, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in the outro. But until then, enjoy this episode of Rolled Up with Rita Slores, the CEO and founder of Omnisend. 
Welcome everyone to a special bonus edition of Rolled Up. I'm chatting with Ritas, the CEO and co-founder of OmniSend. There are now over 100 employees, number 87 on Europe's top 1,000 fastest growing companies, over 20 million in ARR. So if you hear this podcast and you hear another interview and he's talking about 10, 11 and you think it's not that old, their revenue has doubled in the last year. And OmniSend is my marketing automation tool of preference for for myself. Rolled Up is on Shopify. So I've used all the tools that do what you would expect a marketing automation platform to do. And that's why I'm really excited to have Redis on the podcast to join me for this special episode. We've got a few topics we're going to cover, but I have a feeling based on our conversations in the green room, it's going to go uh, a little bit more free flowing. So if you're a founder, if you've been through the hard times, if you know that it's the absolute roller coaster ride that can vary from hour to hour or even minute to minute. I think you'll enjoy this episode. Ritas, thank you so much for finding the time and making the time to join me. Hey, Lucas. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting. I really enjoy your shows and the episodes and I think you're doing it really professionally. So thanks for inviting me and really happy to join you. Yeah, thank you so much for for coming. And it was time to hit record just as we were getting started because we were talking about how as a founder, you just there are good days and there you have a lot of fun. But there are also days where I don't know if you've ever seen The Wire, but there's a scene where uh, a character says, what's it like to be the boss? And uh, the grizzled gray chin says, well, you get a bowl of shit and you got to eat it and you don't think you can stomach it. And then just as you finish, you get presented with another bowl of shit and you have no idea how you're going to eat it. Somehow you make your way through that and you see three more bowls of shit that you just have to power through. And that's what being a founder can really be like at times. And I think that's why we're both such big fans of the book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, because there are so many visionary and inspirational books. But in The Hard Thing About Hard Things, one of the things that uh, Ben Horowitz talks about is making tough decisions during tough times. So making layoffs quick and as you can't say painless, but uh, with as much pain medication as, as you can give. What are some of the ways in the last year which for e-commerce specifically really embodied that that wartime mentality that you had to adapt to take some of the lessons from that book, but when things are going so well? So, you know, for e-commerce in general, as, as for us as well, like, uh, finally 2020 was a really good year for us as organization, as Omnisend. But uh, for our customers, uh, for some of them, it was a really good year as well. But for some of them, uh, why not? As we are serving e-commerce customers primarily, and that's majority of our customers are those who do sell online. So, mm-hmm. of course, it was booming in general e-commerce and digital retail was booming in 2020. But at the same time, at the very beginning of uh, the COVID and all uh, global lockdowns, there was a lot of uncertainty and we saw some of our customers going out of business, unfortunately, or, or having layoffs and all those things. So we had those those uh, moods and those uh, questions being raised by our employees as well, by our team members. So we were really kind of lucky, I would say, not to go through uh, the worst case scenarios as uh, airlines or restaurants or some like hospitality industry had, that's for sure. Especially at the beginning of 2020, there was a lot of uncertainty uh, and uh, we had to react accordingly really to give some um, huge discounts and then forgiveness for a few months for our customers, just allow them to use for free our service or to help them to stay in business. And uh, yeah, so I'm super glad that uh, 
a lot of them survived and, and uh, a lot of them even flourished after that. So mm-hmm. great to see that. So probably the 2020 was not the most challenging year in my business career and even in, in Omnisense life. No, but there is something to be said about really being empathetic during hard times where you might be doing very well, but you have customers and your team is uncertain. Even going fully remote, it's hard to to adapt and adjust that that quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I, I totally agree. You know, and that's what I actually have to to care about and like. Being customer-centric, because I believe Omnisend is customer-centric, and we always put the customer at, at the center, so really have empathy to, to them. It's extremely important, especially in the hard times, because people people remember, you know, and each business, although our customers are businesses, yeah, but each business, there are people behind them, and how you treat those people exactly the same way we're going to treat you um, in the future. Mm-hmm. So if, if you showed an empathy in the hard times, so it, it will pay off. And I mean, not only by uh, by financial means that it will pay off, but uh, just, you know, you're going to get some karma points. And uh, I believe that's important. I find that when one thing that always works for me to just get through the tough times is just start working my ass off because it either it, it takes your mind off things or the karma just builds up and somehow everything works itself out when you you just put everything in that you have but by giving some forgiveness if a company makes it through they remember that they they stick with you that's true and you know i I kind of like believe in that uh, that relationship with your customer relationship with the team members is extremely important and i'm 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 a heavy believer that uh, the personal relationship and human relationship and and approach is extremely important equally important to financial data even more important, I would say. Yeah. So here at Omnison, we really put our customers first and then team second. And, uh, uh, you know, founders' needs or something uh, else is really the third or maybe the fifth of a priority. <laughs> it is. We, we get the scraps. It's uh, almost like the uh, the chef's treat. If you're making the, the beef wellington, you get the best pieces as you cut off to sample it because you know you're not eating all night. <laughs> The funny enough is actually what actually drives the entire organization to success. And then finally, I believe for those founders who are listening to us, if you focus to your customers, to your team needs, uh, finally you end up um, with your fortune as well. Because, you know, just your business is, is growing and uh, you uh, keep serving and your customers keep retaining. And so that's that's extremely important. It is. And it's sometimes we get so obsessed with our cost require customer, we forget that for 10% of that cost, we can retain that revenue, which mm-hmm. you lower that cost 90%. Your, your bottom line sees that growth pretty, pretty quick. And that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy working uh, as Omnisend is basically a retention tool. Mm-hmm. We do we do send uh, text messages, uh, emails, uh, push notifications. But in all cases, you have to have a permission from your customers mm-hmm. to communicate, and it's uh, it's it's made for retention. So I'm a strong believer in uh, again in the relationship. So retention marketing is all about building and and maintaining your relationship. So that's that's another aspect why I'm so happy to be in this exactly field. Me too. And it's one of the reasons that I'm excited to be working with you in that people, I think a lot of marketers give things a bad rap because we tend to abuse everything, uh, including things like SMS and push notifications. But the power is that some customers prefer that method to be communicated with and they don't want to 
miss a sale or miss a new item or that it's the last chance to get something because they just don't check their email that that often. So it's nice to have the options to communicate with your customers in the way that they choose. Yeah, exactly. That's the beauty of omnichannel marketing approach that actually you, and again, that's where you put your customer first, uh, your shopper, your consumer. Yeah. So you allow them, your customers to choose the most preferred channel instead of you make the decision of them that, okay, I'm going to communicate with you via email. Maybe they prefer SMS, maybe they prefer web push notifications and whatever channels it will be in the future. But uh, giving this optionality for a customer, I believe is extremely important. It absolutely is. And to flip it, nobody likes buying things like insurance or filling out medical questionnaires or anything. So if I'm buying something or I need a prescription refill or something, I'd much rather just text in and say, hey, uh, my prescription is getting low. Can I get a refill? I've got three left on it. Great. Now I don't need to go into somewhere. I don't need to deal with an old, old website powered by Oracle or something. It's just how I prefer to to shop. And it's nice as a shopper to have that choice. And you know, I, I'm, I'm a strong believer and we at Omnison, we're strong believers in, in, in the future. That future of retail is really omnichannel. That means that we as a shoppers, as a consumers, will have a full optionality and we will be in the control where we want to buy things, how we want to uh, experience them, how we want to return. So my kind of ideal scenario is that in the future, I believe there will be only showrooms. There will mm-hmm. be definitely like shopping malls or experience malls maybe where you can go and you can find like maybe one item but of all colors of all sizes let's take a jacket yeah so usually what i face now what are difficulties i face now i go to the uh, store and okay i love this blue color jacket but uh, they have only green color my size so i have to look around for another store or somewhere else okay to find my preferred color and my preferred size and I cannot fit it. So I believe that in the future I, I will be uh, able to go there to find exactly my size, exactly my preferred color, exactly my preferred shape to fit it. If it really fits me, I'm going to order and it will be delivered to my home address exactly the same day. Mm-hmm. And that's where really where real like connectional online, offline experience, social media is really being uh, bonded together. And that's where the, the disruption of retail is happening. So marketing and communication with customers should follow that. So if the future of retail or the future of commerce is omnichannel, which is strongly believe, so the marketing has to be omnichannel as well. And as we as a customers have optionality to choose the most preferred channels to buy, to experience your products, we have to have a right to choose the channels, which we prefer brands to communicate with us as well. So I believe that's extremely important. I believe it a hundred percent. And I know on LinkedIn, it says you're, you're in London. Are you in the UK right now? Yeah, so currently I'm in Lithuania, Vilnius. I used to live in London for a while, but I'm from Lithuania. So definitely COVID situation got me back here. <laughs> That's what I uh, I figured, or I uh, wasn't sure if you were, were splitting time. But are you familiar with the, the store Argo in the UK? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's how they shop. It's essentially just a showroom and then they ship it to you or you could pick it up there later that day or the next time that you get there. And I think there's just something to be said for the psychology of shopping. Sometimes with remote working, 
it's just a destination to get out and and go for your morning walk. Maybe listen mm-hmm. to to an audiobook or something. Go pick up your package, and it just it gets you out of, out of the house. But it's nice to have that option, and even to be delivered by SMS to say, "Hey, would you rather have your order picked up in store or delivered right to your house?" One or two, and to get that customer preference for for future orders, so every experience is like a VIP experience for them. Yeah, and Argos, you know, still an exception. So I believe this is where all the retailers should be like. It is. And I always thought when I was running Treats Happen, if I had uh, unlimited budget, I would do pop-up retail space in condo buildings and say, these are the selection of natural dog foods. These are any toys or whatever. But the, the key is once people buy a product, especially a subscription product, they can just have it delivered whenever or wherever. And then so they would pick their dog food, set their delivery schedule, and then it's delivered right in that building and then use that as sort of a, a retail footprint. You could do the same with the jacket example of, hey, it's the uh, adventure tourism store where you go in, uh, you give your, you try it on, but you don't want to pack it with you. Let's say you're going hiking in the uh, mountains of South Africa. They can ship it to your hotel or your destination where you're going to be so you don't have to carry it with you. Very great example, yeah, even. And you know, that, that's a good thing, I believe, at COVID, although it really has a lot of downsides globally and with pandemics, but for us, those who are in e-commerce industry, it's it really, I believe, it accelerated a lot. It did. Well, it accelerated it 10 years. I think we've all seen that chart by now that from March to May of last year, the industry grew as much as it had the previous 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of am optimistic here and I think it's sustainable that after the, all the lockdowns global and then pandemic is over, it will not get back to the previous numbers. Uh, the habits are there already and uh, the pandemics is long enough to build new habits. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's just the beginning. So, and just coming. So we are really living at the, at the disrupting times of retail in general and e-commerce. And what we saw like uh, among our customers as well, that, uh, that a lot of, a lot of offline really sustainable and, and big offline businesses finally got online or finally started treating online as equal channel to their offline presence. As before that was still like, okay, we do have a lot of physical stores and we do have some kind of small team or which is responsible for our online store which is like you know being deprioritized for many years but uh, that changed you would think if you're a brand that's sold in retail well we're in 20,000 stores across the united states and worldwide or we've got a hundred retail locations the website is just a drop in the bucket and it's more expensive for us to ship to customers we'd rather ha- them come into our stores where we have these leases but when the pandemic hit the website was the only store that was open and customers realized it's kind of nice not having to fit something in my car and try to take it home and you know it's what actually helped it with is really to expand the the demographics of those who uh, tried online shopping experience for the first time that uh, elder people who maybe still preferred buying and going to the shop, shopping mall or store, etc. So we kind of experienced that and we saw, okay, this is, this is, it could be a really great experience and the internet is not, not that scary as maybe I thought about that mm-hmm. in the past. So, yeah, so I think it's, it's really living in, in, in unprecedented times for, for those who are selling in retail industry as well. So I believe a lot of listeners. So although it's, it, it might be challenging, but I think it's really it's a great time to be in e-commerce. I think the businesses that survive will be set up very well for the next uh, 
for the foreseeable future. But as we saw, that can change quickly. So I don't want to count any uh, eggs before they they hatch. One question I've been been dying to to ask, and I feel like we could just talk about retail and industry all day, is that between us, we've we founded a, a few companies, and we're both on our, our third company with uh, with OmniSend and rolled up and we've both chosen to to bootstrap. I have my reasons why why I'm hellbent on on not fundraising any money, but I I just love to hear your philosophies behind why you chose not to raise a bunch of of capital when it seems like money is getting handed out in in the industry like candy on Halloween. Oh yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. So much money being put in into the industry uh, recently. Yeah. So you know, the key there are probably two key reasons why. So first one is really, and the bootstrap is, is a good word, but I prefer calling ourselves customers funded. So uh, we do have uh, investors, but we have t- tens of thousands of investors. So each of our paying customers actually making a decision each month if they continue investing in us and if we really create value for them. What does that mean that being bootstrapped or customers funded uh, puts your customer at really, really very center of your business, at that very, very core? And you always constantly have to think about how to create value for your customer, not for your investor. Usually what happens, yeah, we, we've got, let's say, five investors and they are needs not always aligned with your customer's needs. Mm-hmm. And if you put your customers at the center. If you do understand that's the only way for you to really grow, uh, not even talking about surviving, but to really grow is really to raise your customers, to create value for them, to satisfy their needs. So that's the first reason that really bootstrapping means putting your customer at the very, very center of your business. And their value, creating value for them, it's the only thing you want to do. Second reason for, for choosing bootstrap, it's a kind of constant shortage of resources, which you don't have that that much financial mainly resources, and it really uh, you know unleashes your creativity. Mm-hmm. You have to find the ways to succeed with limited resources. It's very easy to you know flood flood with uh, with money and go for PPC campaigns and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's easy to, and I'm just picturing um, with evaluations lately, shoveling like the coal into a train, but just like the old cartoons, but just like stacks of money to fuel the engine. And it, it works, but it's not smart. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and it's a way, it's a path. I mean, and, and a lot of founders choose that path and that's okay. I'm not against it, but yeah, I prefer really, yeah, not to putting that, that much of a call, but really uh, rather doing things smarter uh, than just, you know, flooding with money. So, cause for me, and I believe for my co-founder as well, for, for us, uh, like, Building a company and creating a business, it's kind of an art. Uh, so I, I really enjoy that creativity and that, that path. And a lot of our teammates enjoy that as well, um, employees of a company, uh, which is really great that, you know, it really kind of the victories are uh, greater and uh, you are more proud of yourself and you accomplish something, something great without being, I would even call it over resource, you know? Yeah. And it's not even how it relates to 
over-resourced, but making smart decisions for the long term for your customers. The um, the Tim Ferriss question of what would you put on a billboard if you could only have one message? And I, I probably have a, a few that I cycle through, but one of them is that only listen to the people who give you money. That's the most valuable opinion. And if that's your customers, you'll build a much better product. And that will be the driver of growth versus if you build something for investors who are just looking to get a return on their investment push to IPO or whatever the monetization strategy is as fast as possible. And you also lose some of the flexibility to do the right thing sometimes. And uh, I don't want to shit all over investors that would say like, no, you can't give some forgiveness or you can't give it for free for six months to, to customers who are struggling. But when they own the majority of, of your company, it's a possibility that they might say, no, that it doesn't make sense to support customers who are just going to go under. There might be those hard conversations thrown at your face and there's nothing you can do about it. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, that's a great quote you just quoted. Yeah, you have to please those who really pay you money. Yeah. So and why, why did you choose to bootstrap? For me, I, I really, I've done it before. So I'm... I feel like I'm in control with the the steering wheel of where I want to take rolled up through through podcasting, production and, and distribution and a few other places we could go. And for me, it's just a much more enjoyable ride when I also have the gas pedal and the brake. I can do something like rolled up that's probably overproduced for the quality that that we need it to be. But to me, if I have a podcast company, I need a product that's really a showroom or a showcase or, or a display. And it's it's also nice on a beautiful sunny day like today. After this podcast, I'm going to go ride my, my bike for an hour. And it's nice to have that flexibility to indulge my vices a little bit. Perfect. But I totally agree uh, on what you just said. Yeah, so quality is extremely important. I, I have no doubt that, you know, your, your listeners really uh, evaluate that, even though maybe they don't tell you that. But yeah, having this great quality, it's extremely important. It is. And it's almost like your philosophy at Omnisend of product-led growth versus sales-led growth and gating everything. It, it's nice to be able to do what you know, on the other side of the fence you enjoy more. And I think also for my own sanity, I know that if I have a, a profitable business within the first few months, I can sleep a lot better at night than if it's been two years and I've raised capital and I've got to find payback or or something else as well. To me, that's not a sustainable business and it just it's stressful. Yeah, I do agree. I do agree. So I mentioned my vices of because uh, I'm a, a real square getting out and uh, riding my, my bicycle on a sunny day. What are some of your vices? What do you do for, for fun? What's your big creative outlet? So, yeah, that's a good question. So the first thing which I thought of now, so eating everything sweet, that's one thing. I, I, I kind of am super sweet too. And another thing which I really miss a lot now, so I am a really social person. I, I love I love, I love partying. I love meeting people. I like uh, I like meeting people in bars and uh, and that's that's probably like what is extremely important for me and I, I miss it now. And yeah, I do I do love riding a bike, but it's kind of I wouldn't call it a vice. It's more kind of a commuting yeah. way for me. So but but it's a really great way to commute it. It refreshes you in the morning and then this is a, a way to reboot your your brain after a work day. 
if you are going to the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so probably those are my biases. Yeah, so basically kind of like, you know, being surrounded by people, by friends and spending time with them and um, and having all the sweet treatments. Like, you know, the office, the office of people are making jokes uh, about me that, you know, we just could eat all the Nutella, which <laughs> you find in the office <laughs> alone. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll have to send you the the Costco sized tub of Nutella for uh, for restaurant supply only. <laughs> I would appreciate that. <laughs> see, some people say for restaurant supply only, and they see a warning label. I see a personal challenge. I see an opportunity to, to push my limits. <laughs> yeah, I would accept this challenge. I would. Yeah. The, the, the Costco Nutella tub challenge. Do you have a favorite pub or, or bar around the world that you, when all this is done, if you could just get on a plane and go pull up a pint that you just feel like you're at home? Uh, no, probably kind of there is no one specific location, but uh, probably beach view. That's what I love a lot. Yeah. And beach bars where you can sit uh, sit on the sand uh, and uh, with barefoot and uh, listen to, to the ocean or the sea uh, while, while having a nice cocktail. So probably that's, that's what inspires me a lot. Digging into the data from Omnison reports, and I recorded the podcast with Greg earlier today on it, so the, the data is really fresh in my mind, and he made a good point. I thought the birthday automation nations with the, the 10% conversion was, was a good idea, but he made a great point of 10%, that's the lowest, that's the bottom. There are the automations that have 50% conversion rate. If you looked at your, your data across all the OmniSend customers, and you could just say one or two things that you wish more entrepreneurs would do to get more revenue and more of their own happy customers, what would that be? Yes, yeah, so I would say two things. First one is really automate more as uh, based on this, our survey of 2020 entire year across all of our customers, we saw that 2% of email traffic, which was sent automatically with all like automated sequences and campaigns drove 29% of all email marketing sales. So that's the beauty of it. And still like not all of our customers are using and not all of uh, e-commerce business is using enough of automation capabilities. And, you know, the beauty of automation is what you set up once and then you sleep and the machine does the job for you. So that would be the first thing. And the second thing I would say, uh, like go beyond email and really have this omni-channel approach. So we do see the increase in conversion rates for text messages by 100% in 2020. So it really kind of boosted. And the push notifications, uh, they are highly effective as well with 28% of conversion rate. So of course, we will have uh, fewer subscribers in comparison to our mailing list. I mean, those who do own online stores, but still those channels are super effective. And you should augment your email marketing with text messages or web push notifications as they really will drive your value. So I would say those two things, automate things and go beyond email to text messages, to web push notifications. I would agree. And that's what I I find myself when people ask me for advice, try those things out. It's not necessarily the most complex answer, but it will do a lot more than you think. And it's so easy to, to start doing this. Well, especially on the pro plan with OmniSend, where you get the uh, whatever you're paying, the equivalent in SMS credits to test, which I saw is a great segue into the, the book question, because I saw that you shared about Atomic Habits and the photography experiments. 
and I'll open it up a little bit. What are two books that you would recommend beyond the hard thing about hard things? But one of them has to be something that's a little bit more obscure or not on the list of best business books that, that you see all the time. So not not Atomic Habits or, or an answer that someone's expecting, hopefully help them find uh, something new. Okay, that's a tricky question. So you know, I'm not sure if it's kind of like for business or the first uh, book which came into my mind, but probably the book which made the, the major impact of my personality, uh, but I read it when I was a teenager, so not sure how would the book sound now reading if and you're not a generation mode. So it's The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. It could be treated that is a pop book and, you know, it's everybody like, you know, thinks that it's really a pop book and nothing nothing substantial there but probably the main takeaway from that uh, from that book which inspires me up until today that you should be living your own dream and that's extremely important for everyone and anyone doesn't matter what you do if you're an entrepreneur if you're an employed person if uh, if you are globetrotter and traveling around so you should be living your own dream so that's probably the first book which really made a huge impact for my personality and the second is more business related so it's for SaaS businesses which really is a really great playbook so from impossible to inevitable by Aaron Ross and Jason Limkin so it's really really a, a guidebook with a lot of actionable points which you just read and, and implement mm-hmm. And it's funny that you mentioned Aaron Ross. I met him once years ago in Chicago after uh, a sales event. He what our VP of sales was was on the panel with him, and it was just so cool how he had one of his kids with him and just playing foosball in the office after. And I just thought it was a cool moment of being able to bring your your children with you to see what you do on a day to day basis of, or at least the fun parts uh, of your job too. Yeah, that's true. Good story. Well, Ritas, thank you so much for for joining me. I know you do a ton of podcasts, so if you type Ritas or OmniSend into the Spotify search bar, Apple search bar, wherever you're listening to this, you can hear more more conversations. Where else can people find you? Where can people get in touch? I'm assuming they can sign up to the OmniSend newsletter, get more benchmarks and stats, but where else can people find you, Ritas? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a lot of great resources uh, produced by my great colleagues on the Omnisend blog and Omnisend Resource Center. So definitely go omnisendcom.com and our blog and then the resources center there. Uh, more kind of formal information. Myself, I myself, I prefer LinkedIn as, as uh, my social network. So I am there, I'm posting there. So definitely keen and connecting with all the great entrepreneurs and e-commerce industry uh, fellows or marketers. So definitely LinkedIn is my most preferred social network. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of Rolled Up. If you head to omnisend.com slash rolled up, I think there's a few bonuses there for you. As for our regularly scheduled program, I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks, but season two is going to look a little bit different. I had a lot of compliments and dozens of five-star reviews on season one, comparing me to the likes of Tim Ferriss and Guy Raz, and I'm humbled, beyond humbled by that, but I got to do better. I got to take Rolled Up to the next shelf up. That was just getting started. Season two is going to be a little bit shorter, only six episodes, looking at a number of different industries and themes that changed throughout the pandemic. 
from a customer shift to sustainable foods and packaging to the expansion of food on delivery, another type of e-commerce in and of itself. And as the Rolled Up Podcast Network grows with more shows coming beyond just me, and I create an actual network, the co-hosts of one of our new shows, Bricks and Clicks, are going to be joining me to provide a little bit of insight into the various industries as well. So make sure you're subscribed. Let me know where you're listening to Rolled Up and if there are any topics you want to hear covered in season two. I'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, if you want tactical e-commerce advice, make sure you check out my other show, Pit Stop. And if you want a mathematical approach to your retail promotions, you have to, have to, have to check out Bricks and Clicks. You know what that bell means. That means it's burrito time. I'm going to go roll one up and I hope you've got one rolled too. Email, SMS, web push notifications. Email, SMS, push notifications. Email, SMS, push notifications. Are you getting it yet? An omni-channel marketing approach has never been easier or profitable than with OmniSend. Omni meaning multi and send meaning send. If it's time to upgrade your marketing automation suite and stop monkeying around, head to omnisend.com. Triple Whale is doing some amazing things nowadays. They're developing just a huge range of tools to help your brand stay informed and scale. And Whale Mail is where you can get all these details. So head over to triplewhale.com and sign up today.